With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. We sound quite different in the studio than we do in the car. <laughs> There's a noise floor of, <laughs> of V8 taking a road rumble. Trip. <laughs> Just taking a road trip. Tire noise, wind noise, <laughs> crazy Maserati at 4,000 RPM at yes. 85 miles an hour. Yes. <clears throat> We hope yeah. you guys enjoyed that completely different idea that we had of just, you know, because we were doing that thing you do where you drive all day and you <laughs> want to pass the time. And we thought we need to get a podcast recorded when we get home. We knew we get home late. We're like, why don't we record a podcast while we're driving home? We hope you guys enjoyed that experience and felt like you were kind of there with us. Cause very different for us. Yeah, it was, it was cool. It was also very hard to reference anything while driving. <laughs> but let's be honest. It was impossible. So like here we have computers. I mean, you've seen the live stream. Here we have the computers in front of us. Yeah. You can see what we're talking about. Yeah. There we had to drive and remember things. Yeah. No, you did great pulling some uh, some thoughts out of memory and that's what I'm always thinking about is, you know, we, we do rely on the internet and just our own yeah, for knowledge sure. and memories for pulling things up. But, you know, sometimes we do a little bit of research and jump in and you couldn't do that. So it's just <laughs> straight out of your brain. Yeah, for sure. Go. Hurry up. For sure. Well, guys, welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Hope you're well. We've got Electrics for Everyone, which is TV episode one from season three, mm -hmm. set the Tesla Model 3 and Chevy Bolt. So it's been a few years, a couple of years since we actually were in those cars and yeah, people are yeah, noticing yeah. and they're not really the talk of the town, if you know what I mean. But I do think it's still a lot of the, the dynamics still apply. For you know what we're the seeing from both companies, valid. for sure. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's uh, it's still good from a driving perspective and what it's like to own and drive and have an electric car in your life. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't seen that, check it out. That was a TV season, and we will continue to be doing these TV seasons, trickling those out. Yeah, the episodes uh, from keep, Amazon Prime. keep coming out every few weeks. Uh, we are at the moment on about a two week cycle. So a couple weeks from now, we'll have episode two of season three, and then it's going to slow down a little bit. It'll be about once a month eventually for old TV episodes dropping on YouTube, but new TV episodes are still coming. Season 7 starts the first Saturday of July, which happens to be July 4th. Yeah. But we are going to have to uh, some reruns from last season, but mostly it is new stuff that we are shooting and editing frantically right now. We've got some really cool episodes coming up we're excited about. That's what we were coming back from on our, on our drive, mm -hmm. was coming back from Denver area for one of our shoots. And so we're in the middle of doing those, plus new Fast Blast content coming every Thursday on YouTube. There's a lot. But it's super fun. You know, for Independence Day in the U.S., maybe we could just have the first TV episode be burnouts, 30 minutes of burnouts <laughs> for all different kinds of cars, however much we can get out of it, and we just roast tires in celebration for 30 minutes. Every kind of car. Burn Red, it white, up. and blue smoke. Here yeah, we are. Yeah, why not? Happy oh, July 4th. Have you seen the, the baby announcements yes. with the burnouts and the... Yes. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen the ones that are done that are then mocked because they go horribly awry? Those <laughs> are the ones the that are even part. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the best part. Uh-huh. All right, we've got a fun topic Tuesday from Billy Kay in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, who asks, what makes a good manual transmission? Hmm. Fighting we've, words. Yeah, true. We've also got a car debate from Thomas D. He's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who was dealing with the mom hurdle. <laughs> and yes, it okay. is a mom hurdle. This is no right. reflection on how much we love our mothers and how great of a person she is. It's just her opinion about cars well, and what she'll the, allow and in this the family. Is, this is the thing. If you have somebody in your life, either side of parents, either one of those parents, 
Let's be honest. Parents have veto power over the other one. They just do. Okay. <laughs> you have a certain like amount kids of play veto one power. against the other. Totally agree. all the time. So if you have two parents and one of them just doesn't get cars, mm-hmm. you have a serious, in this case, mom hurdle. You have a veto power problem. You have to work around to, to be a car enthusiast against the person who is kind of like, why are we doing? Why are we spending money there? Because cars are expensive. Here's the thing: <laughs> no, no couple has ever argued about would it be worthwhile to have a roof over our heads. Would we no. like to live where we live? Surely Would we like not. to live yeah. in a place that we are both, both proud of? Yeah. That's never been a debate. <laughs> you, you may have a debate about how much money you can spend. Sure. But you can get into huge debates about the next thing you spend the most money on, which is that car, where one yeah. side is like, I like cars. Let's begin again with the other person. Like, it just needs to roll to the grocery store and we're done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What's fun? Do we, we don't have fun. No fun to be had. All right. So the topic Tuesday, again, from Billy Kay. He is in Toronto, and he's a new car guy, thanks to a good friend who would not shut up, not stop talking about BMWs and sleepers. (laughs) Okay. He says it rubbed rubbed off on him, and now he can't stop listening to the podcast. Billy, thank you so much. He's seriously considering a manual daily driver and thought of going for a Honda Accord 2.0 Sport, which is just fine. I had two manual Honda Accords in Mm -hmm. high school and college. Yeah. And as soon as I discovered more fun enthusiast not reckless, but, you know, fast driving. I started to wear the shoulders off my tires, and I thought, well, this is interesting. This is new. And that was just out of an accord. Yeah. So, bravo, yes. Now, some reviewers express they love the manual transmission, while others don't. So is a good manual transmission also subjective? And are any characteristics that are absolutes to find in a manual transmission? Mm, okay. Now... He's test-driven a 2019 Mazda 3, the Hyundai Elantra N-Line, SI, Civic, and STI, and the Accord 1.5 Turbo. So far, he's leaning towards the Elantra N-Line and the Accord. Mm. But ultimately, we talk about manual transmissions so much. We do. And we talk about them as the holy grail. And if you don't have one, your car is worthless, at least according to the internet. You're not a true enthusiast if you don't have a manual transmission. Well, (laughs) recent side notes, by the way, talking about shifting and the value of shifting. Have you you noticed this on our latest Super Piece? The two Supras. I, I Tons keep seeing comments, comments about this because if you don't, and I may have said this before, if you if you don't shift and let it go to redline, then you're not driving the car hard enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But but in the case of the Supras, I'm driving the three liter and I'm winding it out up this big hill. And look, I'm a filmmaker. I get it. You're having trouble hearing me because the car is loud now, which is the reason that you short shifted if you're driving a review. Right. right. So it's can't win can't win for losing here because I keep <laughs> driving while you keep talking and it gets quite loud in the cabin because we're headed for redline. Why? Because if you're an enthusiast, you have to wind the car out on every single shift. Yes, of course. But now you can't hear us. So you're frustrated about that anyway. But the point here yeah. is shifting is incredibly fun. And we have we've had a, a line of CUVs. We have one we're reviewing this week, in fact, that have the CVT, yes. which is the opposite. It, it, it's way past automatics into no shifting required. It's just it just picks ratio. <laughs> you know, it, it, it locks or itself off. It doesn't pick a ratio. It and, just locks itself yeah. off at RPM, and you hear the 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 drone continue when the car accelerates, which is like some yeah. weird magic trick. Those are not engaging. Then you have manuals on the other end, which are fully engaging. Somewhere in there are all of us. And while the internet says it's only manuals, let's be honest, that's not what we're all buying. But we are talking about shift engagement. Couldn't agree more. And Billy, there's insight into the product planners and the business people who are in charge of, of car companies and the various models that the car companies produce. There is so much more to introducing a car than we all think. Because we're enthusiasts mm-hmm. and we think, well, yeah. everybody who works at a car company must be an enthusiast. 
That is not true. Yeah. I've seen and met many of people who are just, this is their company. We make toasters mm-hmm. and it has an automotive badge on it. And I go home and I don't care about, I just, it's work. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It could be any job, name the product or service and it yep. could be anything. Yep. Maybe they like a little bit more, but generally speaking, there's so much more that goes into the decision-making and product planning that we think, well, the design studio must be full of enthusiasm, which actually it is. But, you know, <laughs> the entire company just – we all must mean be car freaks, super freaks. And so manual transmissions have to proliferate everywhere. Mm-hmm. In the case of the Supra, Toyota wants a broader market share. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They want it to appeal to us enthusiasts, and they want it to appeal to – Maybe somebody that hasn't ever considered before and can finally afford one and can't drive a manual or doesn't want a manual for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Your leg is injured or you have, you know, you just don't like it or you yeah. don't know how or whatever All you that do is. is stop and go. These kind of things. Yeah. All those sorts of things. So as far as a manual transmission, yes, they're becoming harder and harder to find. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are the holy grail for us enthusiasts because of the interaction. Yeah. But yeah. cars are getting so good. That dual clutches cannot be ignored, mm-hmm. and I encourage you to drive a few dual clutches. You can treat it like an automatic, but they do bring out a lot of engagement. But ultimately, you got to decide what do you want to extract out of a car. Is it speed and track driving? Because that's where dual clutches shine, mm. especially these automatics like the Supra. Yeah. Well, then that's not even a dual clutch. There's even just autos that have gotten that good. Autos have, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Eight-speed autos autos and then the dual clutches, both of those. Honestly, we we went through for the last 10 10 years or so, there was a big thing about dual clutches are the way to go if you don't have a manual. But the truth is we've driven that ZF eight-speed automatic in the Alpha Julia, in the Supra, and other uh, uses where the programming of that was so good, it could be argued Mm. that you don't even need a dual clutch if you want to drive track. And, you want to drive. And, and, and let me come back to what you already said it. If you want to drive on track and you're worried about your tenths of a second, mm-hmm. you're not worried about how much fun did I have. And I'm not saying going faster isn't fun because it is. It okay? is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if, if you want the fun of the engagement, you're going to be slower on track because you have a manual. But if mm-hmm. you want to be just how fast can I get, then you want to take a variable out of the equation and automate it, which is what these really good ZF automatics or even a dual clutch will do for you. And then guess what? Your lap times will get faster because mm-hmm. you aren't mm-hmm. shifting for yourself anymore, but you've lost a level of engagement that once you get off the track, you may really, really want more. Yeah, true, true. Well, then on the other hand, do you just, as Todd said, do you just want the fun of driving, the mm-hmm. fun of the engagement? And really what it comes down to is the construction of the shift linkage. It's not necessarily the transmission itself. This is just the thing that operates the gears. So mainly, generally speaking, there's two ways of building this shift linkage. It's either mechanical. Well, they're both mechanical, but but it's a a long linkage. Mm -hmm. So it's it's hard mounted with a bar. Yeah, it's a bar, yeah. Or you have a cable. Mm -hmm. And cables are used quite often when... In packaging, when you can't actually, you know, have a line of sight or it's not going to be quite uh, specific enough to engineer the bar to get around the piece that's in the way, whatever Mm -hmm. that is. Mm -hmm. And you can't have a direct line to put a bar in from your manual shifter to your transmission. You have to have a cable. It kind of snakes down and underneath and this goes around and then it can finally meet up to the point where it attaches to, to the transmission. So cable linkages are used more and more by manufacturers simply because of ease of installation and ease of snaking it around the other parts in the car it mm-hmm. has to avoid. So therefore, there's there's some loss there. There's some cable bending and stretching, and it mm. actually kind of moves around. I mean, yes, it's 
you know, clipped in and bolted down all, all along the length of the cable. But you can start to identify and feel who does it well and who <laughs> does it not so well. Yeah. And the ones who don't do it so well have a rubbery feel to it. So it has you, – you try to put it in gear and you feel maybe a little bit of cable – stretch or it, it just that cable hole linkage it kind of flexes mm -hmm. along the entire yeah. length yeah, of it yeah. it's it's a little bit but you can feel in some cases that's what the car company wants because it, it feels uh, a little bit more luxurious it feels a little bit more gliding rather than mm. a race car you know direct bar link to the transmission sure feels pretty rough and raw yeah but that's what we're all searching for so even in manual transmissions there's two different kinds of construction. Mm -hmm. Like I said, most car companies are going with a cable linkage, but it depends on how far that cable runs and how well it's designed and engineered yeah. and all yeah. those kinds of things. So now we're getting into parts designed to have a specific feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Race cars, kit cars, all those kinds of things have that direct bar linkage. Mm -hmm. Do you know on your Lotus, is it a bar? No, it's cable, which is, it is, which is the problem. Here's the okay. problem with the Elise. When you get into mid-engine uh, mid cars where the engine is behind the driver, very often it's hard to get that shift feel to be as good as if it's a front engine car. Mm -hmm. Especially if you've got like it doesn't matter. Or the transmission's almost underneath the shifter itself. Exactly. Right? So so that's this is part of the problem. And and the Lotus Elise has never been known for good shifter feel. I have an aftermarket kit on mine that essentially replaces, changes the mounts, changes the the kind of cable, and improves things. So my Elise, frankly, has some of the best shifter feel I've felt on a Lotus Elise. However, if you compare that to the Porsche Cayman, mm -hmm. the Porsche mm -hmm. Cayman has a better shift feel. Now I'm just talking mid-engine to mid-engine here. Yeah. The Porsche Cayman has a better shift feel. There's, another, there's other things going on here. And first off, I want, I want to say kind of as a, a global thing, Billy, yes, there is a subjective reality here because yeah. Yeah. generally speaking, the S2000 is considered an icon of – six-speed manual transmission cars. I have met people who don't like the shifter feel of the S2000. Okay. All I've right. heard people say it. They don't like it. So, but that is, by most people, most journalists will talk about it being a standard bearer. The six-speed manual that Porsche was making in the early 2000s, in their 911s and in the Caymans, was phenomenal. Mm. But they've left that and gone other places, and you know, dual clutches are great and all that kind of stuff. So that's going on. Again, my Elise isn't great. I'll give you another weird one that happens. The Mustang GT350. Mm. Yeah. Every time we've driven that car, yeah. we have complained about the clutch feel. Yeah. Because it yeah. just feels like you need to go to the gym or work on your clutch, one of the two, because you're, <laughs> right. it's just your constant leg workout. And there is a standard fix by owners that they literally crawl into the footwell and they change one spring inside the footwell and it solves the problem. Amazing. So yeah. this is not even normally. I mean, you're going to have a heavier clutch because you have a more powerful car. Your, your 150 Indeed. horsepower In, econo Indeed. box does yeah. not have the same kind of clutch feel as your 700 horsepower whatever. Sure. But here's a very powerful car that the shift feel, feels weird because the clutch take-up is odd. People change the spring... And you already made a change. There are so many little nuances in play here. And then you can have two people, you and I do it sometimes, others do it, where two people jump in the same car back to back and one likes the shifter and the other one doesn't. And it has to do with yeah. driving style, body position, how long your legs, how strong are you, what engages you. I know guys, last part of my rant, I know guys that love BMW shifters and I have never liked them. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Chance told me that he would take the DCT BMW M2 over the manual. 
Mm. M2. And we love the fact that the M2 has the manual transmission, but it does feel still distant. It feels a little rubbery and flexy and mm-hmm. not quite as engaging and not that that precision is missing. So what it comes down to is parts and ultimately to distill what Todd is saying, let's talk about wine. Oh, I've wow, okay. And you'll see what I mean in just a minute, but I've whenever I've done wine tastings or, you know, had somebody introduce a wine to me whatever, generally generally speaking people will say if you like the wine and it tastes good to you well then it's good wine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean everybody has to like it but if you like it then it's good wine to you mm-hmm. great if you like that manual transmission then it's good mm. if you don't like it okay find one that you do like but that doesn't mean it's necessarily bad somebody else might like it to mm-hmm. your point yeah. yeah yeah many people like the bmw feel others don't they would refuse and they hate it so much, they'll take the DCT over it. They'll take yeah, the automatic yeah, yeah. or whatever else, yeah. which is astounding because we all think, well, if it has a manual, it's going to be fine. Not necessarily, which means you're going to have to drive and find the one that you like mm-hmm. most. You're going to have to drink a bunch of wine, essentially, and mm. if you like the taste. <laughs> yeah. Now we're drinking and driving. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> see what yes, I'm saying, I see where you're going. Yeah. If you like it, then it's good. Mm. The end, really. And you can have your opinions. You know, that's why we love debating. But you're mm-hmm. feeling all those parts, the the shift linkage bushings, the socket ends, the connectors, the housing. You're feeling mm-hmm. the engineering mm-hmm. of all that kind of stuff. And some companies put a lot of effort and money and time into designing that and making the shift feel. The GT350 does feel great when you shift it. Yeah, yeah. Then compare that to the M2. They feel totally different. Yeah, they're, they're both manuals. Yeah, very, very good point. Excellent point, yeah. So... Ultimately, it comes down to feeling those parts, which mm-hmm. is so astounding because all these cars are made from the same materials, mm-hmm. leather and wood and plastic and steel and aluminum and all this stuff. And it's just the engineering that goes into that. And that's what creates the feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, it comes down to what's your driving background, what's your driving position too, because I'll give you an example. We've talked before about the fact that the current Honda Civic both the SI and the Type R, mm-hmm. I think the pedals are too far apart. The, the brake and the gas pedal are yeah. too far apart to do easy heel towing. I agree. I have to get a much more extreme angle on my foot to heel tow properly in that car. But there are owners that have been like, I heel tow it all the time. Of course you do because you own it, you've gotten used to it, and I get it. Yeah. But I'm used yeah. to pedals that are very close together, and the cars that I like the most have pedals very close together. And the, the ones in that Honda lineup are a good inch or two farther apart than the cars that I enjoy the most for heel towing. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can adjust, and now and I'll give you the flip side. You adjust, and now you hop in a car that has pedals closer together, and you're going to wonder why you're bumbling so much. Sure, yeah. So yeah. there's that, all that adjustment as well. Look, I, I need to see the GTI on your list, Billy, because that is one of the transmissions I love shifting the most. It's just so easy. It's, it's just crazy easy. Yeah, it's, yeah, and, yeah. and that means it's just fun to shift. You're going to want to do it a lot, and it's just fun. It's just really enjoyable, and it engages really well. It has a good feel to it. It's kind of right in the middle between too extreme and too hardcore mm-hmm. racing and kind of over here, the rubbery feel. It doesn't really quite go there but it's it's a good right in the middle kind of feel it's one of the easiest cars to have as a stick shift and as a commute car it's just delightful. and i yeah. think that accord is going to be in that area as well and i love the fact that honda is offering this this two liter sport we just drove the accord as part of a big sedan piece that we shot but i love the fact that the two liter which is the more powerful like 260 horsepower yeah. accord yeah is also offered with the manual. Honda has a great history of good manuals. I suspect when you talk about reviewers don't like it, some of the reviewers don't like it, part of it is it's subjective, and part of it is they want the Accord to be the S2000, and it's not going to be. 
I see comments on the super piece about if Toyota only put the manual transmission on the huge horsepower, the three liter engine, mm. I, that's the car. And I'm thinking to myself, are you going to buy it? Let's hope so. Because if you're not going to buy it, it doesn't yeah. justify the business case yeah. for Toyota to make it. I, it doesn't. I hope. And therefore, they won't. Totally. I hope two things. I hope that Toyota releases the Supra in any configuration now available with the manual. And once they do that, they can't make them fast enough. Because if they do that, yeah. and the enthusiasts are like, yeah, but now this. And it could feel BMW source, and it could have that little bit of a rubbery Which feel. A problem. It could. I agree. And it then really we're all going to turn up our noses at that. Unless you're a BMW fan. It's a very weird world. <laughs> yes. But here's my thing. If they offer the manual and people don't buy it more because they've now offered the manual or they, they don't find new customers because the manual showed up, right? the chances of the next thing Toyota releases being a manual are cut in half. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the truth. Car of it. companies yeah. want new customers all the time. That's what they're searching for and they're designing expressly for that. So us enthusiasts, we need to buy those cars. Mm -hmm. If they offer them and they're manual, then we need to buy them. Yeah. Summer's here, and with that comes sunshine and blistering hot car interiors. I know that leather seat seemed like a great idea at the time until you scalded your legs. All you need is a custom sunscreen from Covercraft. These foldable sunscreens fit perfectly in the windshield of your car, and they keep your car a lot cooler while you're off enjoying the sunshine or whatever you're doing. I have used these for years, and I, I'm telling you, I swear by them. These custom sunscreens from Covercraft are available in a whole range of colors, and they're a simple, affordable way for you to keep your car cooler all summer long and protected from damaging UV rays all year long. We swear by our custom sunscreens from Covercraft. It's one of our favorite car accessories. And remember, you can get 10% off your car sunscreen by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com, or you can follow the link from our sponsors page. How's this sound, driving the California coast in a replica Shelby Daytona Coupe? That sounds good, huh? Yeah, I thought so. And here's your shot. DriveShare is the coolest online car sharing platform around, and it's giving you the chance to win this ultimate dream drive. All you have to do is tell them where your dream drive is, and you could win theirs. We're talking about California's Highway 1, Pacific Coast Highway. Enter today at DriveShare.com slash DreamDrive. That's DriveShare.com slash DreamDrive. Thomas D. is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. dealing with the mom hurdle. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> you know she's listening. Of course she is. Mom and Dad are both listening now, and we have to really – this is this is one of those uh, rakes and landmines situations. We have to navigate this very clearly because we have <laughs> Thomas, clearly a car guy, trying to help Dad, who has a car guy history, and Mom, who's going, why is this important now? Uh -huh. uh, yes. This is tough. The debate is for Gary – Thomas's dad, but we have to appease <laughs> the mom too. Mm -hmm. And I think we can. Now, Thomas is looking to help his dad find an enjoyable daily. He's had a few fun cars, but he's been driving minivans and econo boxes for the past 20 years. So this means he's kind of getting to the, I want something new and fun, and I am kind of deserve this new fun thing. I think so. I think so, yeah. So the kids have all grown up, moved out. And as far as Thomas knows, this is the car history. A 68 Camaro Z28 That is his first car. Very cool. Let alone first car that's very cool, period. <laughs> that just, yeah. that, that uh, mm -hmm. solidifies yep. you know, everything as, as a car go. person. Yep. He's had a mid-80s Pontiac Grand Am, a GMC Sonoma, an early 90s Pontiac Sunfire. You remember those things? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Oh, man. Man, I remember. He had a 94 Mustang GT, brand new five-speed coupe in Canary Yellow, Ford Focus Wagon, a Ford Focus Hatchback, multiple Dodge Grand Caravans over the years. 
But currently, they have a 2015 Chevy Sonic hatchback, okay. a 2010 Ford Flex refrigerator, and a 2019 <laughs> Subaru Outback, which okay. they just bought. This is supposed to replace the Flex, which should be going. They haven't yet convinced mom to let go of it yet. And I will say, the longer you hang on to that, the less money you'll get for it. True. So true, true. You bought the Outback to replace it. The Flex needs to go. Theoretically. But the Flex is one of those cars didn't sell well, but the people that bought them love them. Loved them, yeah. They really, really like them, so it's very interesting. Yeah. All right. So the 2015 Chevy Sonic is going to Thomas's sister for college, which means Dad needs the new daily around August 2020. And again, the Outbox. Uh, outbox. It's outback. an Outbox. It's, it's an, an Outbox. outbox. Yes. Freudian the slip, but it's outbox. an Outbox. It's very good. I like it, yeah. It checks all the boxes for hauling people and large objects. So, Thomas's dad, Gary, needs something up to $20,000, but the twelve to 15000 range is ideal, okay. and he doesn't have a commute. He works from home. Automatics are fine. He'd be open to manuals. Both parents can drive manuals, as a matter of fact. Like that. That's good news. And as far as the style and size, this is a quote here from Gary, who says the size of the Sonic is fine. They've got the Outback for the bigger car. And he and his wife, Thomas's mom, mm-hmm. are both both like the go-kart feel of the Sonic. Okay. This is also encouraging. Now, he doesn't like sedans or big SUVs. He'd like something sporty or different that you don't see a lot of in Tulsa. Yes, except for the fact he wants to maintain some sort of backseat. We'll see. We'll, see. <laughs> we'll work on Just, that. He, that's what he wants. I, but I hear you. I yeah. think I might have something for you. Okay, good. The driving habits are primarily a mix of in-town driving, short highway trips, drives about one hour to Tulsa a couple times a week. The car will be used for weekend trips, road trips, and other longer highway drives. But again, they've got the Outback, the Outbox. If need be, yes. The Outbox is there, yes. The Outbox. (laughs) (laughs) Traffic is never a concern. Oklahoma roads are built on a grid. He doesn't do autocross or track days. He's average build, six foot one, probably fits in most modern cars. Both parents will drive this car. Something less than four years old. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> four years I old. I just get that. the sense you went through this with doesn't matter, doesn't uh, matter. Got to ignore it. That's funny. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and his dad, Gary, also appreciates a solid feeling door slam and has avoided Toyota because he says the doors feel cheap. Depends on the Toyota. I agree with that as well, yes. It depends on the car from any car company. Yes, it does. Except for Porsche. But anyway. Stop. <clears throat> Aversions are sedans, Hyundais, Kias, Camrys, Accords, Jeeps, Dodge SUVs, and minivans. <laughs> What's left? Oh, wait. No, sorry. I got it. <laughs> I yeah, know. I'm with you. Yeah. Now, aside, he says, how can you get somebody to look past their preconceived notions about a car or brand? Like Kia Stingers. Everybody, yeah. the yeah. world, and Kia Stingers. Preconceived notions are right yeah, in between. That, that's where those exist. Absolutely true. Yes. No white, no silver, no orange, seafoam <laughs> green, or any weird colors. So we're looking at like blacks <laughs> and blues. That's where okay. we really are here. Yeah. Doesn't really want a convertible for a daily driver. That might be thrown out the window here too. <laughs> wow, you're just you're <clears> off <throat> of the weeds. This is funny. Okay, keep going. No steel wheels with hubcaps. That does that's not a thing anymore. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Unless you bought the base, base, base model. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And he's listed minis and Subaru Crosstrex as cars high on his list. Can we just ixnay the Subaru Crosstrek right now and just get that off the list? Because well, you have the Outback. They've got the Outbox. Yes, the Outbox exists. Yes. Totally agree. I like minis. He's liked the Veloster when it first came out, but was disappointed when he drove one. 
Also, he doesn't like Hyundai mm-hmm. until you drive a Veloster N and well, and he drove the first gen non-turbo Veloster, yeah. which honestly we both liked when we first drove it because we thought it was better than we expected it to be. But you compare that to the second gen; the second gen is a revolution by comparison. Yeah, yeah. true, true. He loves the Dodge Challenger in any V8 flavor. So do the rest of us. We love any car in any V8 flavor. <laughs> Bring that. I like it. Good. And his dream car is a 1984 Porsche 944 Turbo. Hmm. Okay. All right. So the mom hurdle. Mom doesn't really <laughs> understand the enthusiast aspect of cars. Let's get a run up on this hurdle. Here cars are appliances you use until they wear out. There's no reason to spend extra money on something fancy. She has an aversion to cars she considers snobby, like Mercedes and BMW and all the Euro cars. I'm going to throw all this out. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for writing all this detailed information. We're tossing it over our shoulder. V8s, SUVs, trucks. And his dad has already gotten grief about the new Outback. Because some unexpected home repairs came up. Well, anytime you buy any new car and this you have is, to spend other money, guys, you're going to get grief. This is home ownership. Yes. The minute you buy the thing other than the stuff you were supposed to spend on the house, the house goes, excuse me, and something breaks. That is, you could practically set a watch by that. <laughs> that True. is That is not unique to... This situation, it is not unique to buying a car. I uh-huh. swear to you. We're going to take a vacation. Oh, look, we need a washer. This is how this goes down. Totally. Absolutely. Totally. All right. So, Mom, I'm going to introduce the inverse rule to you. And I'm going to ask if the wow. inverse rule that we here at Everyday Driver use will apply to this situation. Okay. And that is your aversion to the luxury brands. You mentioned Mercedes and BMW. Mm-hmm. Sure, Porsche is in there, too. If you spend less than your budget or in your budget on mm. one of these snobby brands, does it does it get better? Does the inverse start mm. to to balance the other direction? This happened with my 928 because mm-hmm. brand new mm-hmm. it was an $80,000 car in 1988. Sure. But it still looked like an $80,000 car when I owned it. Mm-hmm. People would just be like, "Hope, did you get a raise, new job?" Like, you know, "Congrats, that looks amazing." I said, I got it for nineteen five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were blown away. Like, wait, this just cost you less than what I paid for an Accord? Totally. Yes. Said, yep. Yes. Welcome. I have that experience any time I stop for gas in the Lotus. That happens all the time. Is it a V10 and that thing must cost $100,000, <laughs> yes. right? Neither of, neither of which could be further from the <laughs> truth. Yeah, exactly. So I'm asking, could this inverse rule mm-hmm. be used to our advantage for you to get something that is less money and costs less than you ever thought mm. and gives you that luxury brand. But then when you get to explain to all of your friends and all of your neighbors, when they go, yeah. look, yeah, who's yeah. got the new whatever. And you say, look, I paid like 19 for it. Yeah. And they, their jaws hit the ground. That's the fun that we have. Yeah. So I'm jumping in to the other Porsches. It's like the movie, the other guys, you know, <laughs> Oh no. Farrell, Mark. Wahlberg. Stop. So, I like your idea about the 944, but 968 Cabriolets are in the sixteen to $20,000 range. Let's see. Convertible. Uh-huh. <laughs> Porsche. <laughs> Does have back seats, though. I'll give you that. They've got the outbox. They do have the outbox. You're right, yeah. 986 Boxster and Boxster S's are 10K. Yes. That's a lot of car for the money. $10,000, and it doesn't look like $10,000. Nope. And people nope. will think, oh, my gosh, what did you guys do? And you'll say, I spent ten grand. mm mm-hmm. And I've got some money left over for future maintenance and repairs. No yep. problem. Yep. And we have this fun, amazing, fun car. Both of you guys can drive stick. Ten mm-hmm. grand for a Boxster? Mm-hmm. 
where where do you sign up? We have a friend of the show who we've actually raced against in lemons. Mm-hmm. Yes. His wife was never a car person. <laughs> always looked at him like, what are you doing? They always had these it, fights too strong a word, but they always had this tension because he was the car guy buying fun stuff. He bought in the last they're They're close to retirement age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He bought in the last three or four years, an NA Miata, a first gen Miata mm-hmm. because he just, thought, I've always wanted one of these. I know it'll be fun. I'm going to drive it for fun. Why not? He never gets to drive it because his wife always takes the keys. Okay? <laughs> so this is this is my challenge here. There is This has happened many times on this podcast and elsewhere where you have a member of the family, mom, dad, doesn't matter who it is, but a member of the family who doesn't hasn't ever connected with cars. Mm-hmm. And some car mm-hmm. comes along and changes that. And it's a revelation that changes all the car purchasing from then on because they suddenly go, okay, now I get it. This is genuinely fun to drive. I do wonder. I hadn't gone there, Paul, but I do wonder about that first-gen Boxster if that's possible here. I'm curious. Because that is a very accessible car to drive as well. It's not. There's yes. nothing scary about that car. Totally. It has this totally. great handling they've talked about both liking. They both can drive stick. It's not a difficult car to drive manual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, wonder if, I wonder if mom might genuinely like that car now i i am concerned Dad's relegated to the outback <laughs> i am concerned about there 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 is a real reality here that some people are concerned about the impression their car gives in spite of what it cost very true very true and i look we've argued this both sides i'm of the demeanor where i'm just like i'm gonna just get over it i'm gonna deal with it you know, for the most part, that's but, where our headspace is. And here's the thing. I mean, like I said, it's a real I'll thing, it, and we have it, to. It's a, real th- it. it's a real thing for yeah. sure. Because like, I'll sit at a gas station in my, you know, thirty thousand dollar Lotus Elise that looks like it costs three times that. Yeah. And the guy in the pickup next to me is looking looking at me like I'm some rich snob, and I'm looking at his monster pickup and knowing <laughs> yeah. because it doesn't even have plates on it yet that he just spent sixty grand on a pickup or more, and he's yes. looking down his nose at me. This weird, you know, we all judge each other. Unfortunately, this yeah. is this weird perception yeah. thing. So I hate for you to not get a great car because you're worried about that perception. But at the same time, I do know that exists. Just to dangle this, an O2 911 Targa. Whoa, wait, what? 996 generation Targa with a okay. glass panel made by Wabasto. Did, was that on the 996 too? The 997 I, was the big slider one. Did they do it on the 996 as well? I, well, I thought, I thought I found that sliding glass. Nevertheless. Go on, yeah. 911 Targas from 2002. I found you a really nice one for $24,000. Hmm. I know that's blowing the budget. It's I just the budget, but I say not that far. just to not you know yeah, kind of validate what we're talking I get it. about. Yep, totally. I'm moving towards boxers. I like the boxer for you. I like the 968 Cabriolets for you. But what about I start over in BMW because okay. you know the mom hurdle. <laughs> I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna do you're my challenging best here. all of it here. I love it. It's really fun. I was poking around in the E46 generation and I found some interesting things. But then I came across the E93. E93 BMW hardtop convertible, one with $25,000. This is a 2008, 25,000 miles. Mm. It's brand new for $18,000, We'll call it 18 wow. after you're all done. You offer them 18, I bet you they'd gladly hand you this car. It's a little bit older, but it's a hardtop convertible, so it does feel like a real car, but it's that hardtop convertible that nobody ever sees. Mm. Gary, you wanted something that you don't see around Oklahoma. 
True. How many true, E93s true. Yeah. are cruising around? The hard top convertible. You can put the top down, take a cruise. When the weather is nice, you've got the convertible. The rest of the time, mm-hmm. it's a hard top. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. It's a BMW. It's got a great engine. It's only got 20, 25,000 miles yeah. for yeah, yeah. 18 grand. Oh, hey. Well, if, I'm not seeing the problem. I hear you. If we can crack into the world of BMW, we've also got uh, 335 ISs in this budget. You do. Which you are do. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that is an enthusiast car. Big time. All day long. Mm-hmm. And both of these will be better than an M3 for your insurance, but who cares about all that? Because, you know, <laughs> your parents and, you know, you can do it. Right? I see it. Okay. But then when you roll up in this, you know, it looks like a brand new BMW, whatever that is, and you think, well, how much you pay for that? 18 grand, people's jaws are going to hit the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And they've hit most of their depreciation already, which is yeah, great because now, okay, you spend 18, 17, somewhere in there for a 330IS or this E93, then, you know, you've got some money left over for maintenance. But at that low miles, it hasn't actually really been used too much. Yeah, you're right. I take your you point. You can change yeah. the oil and start driving that thing, and, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, for what it's designed to do. And I'll bet you mom might take this more than the Outback. <laughs> Okay. That's that's my thinking. I was All right. toying with Z3s and Z4s, but that E93 has genuine trunk space. It's got yeah. a back seat yeah. to fill the back seat needs. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Hard top convertible. There's some real challenges there, but I do hear you. Yeah. Those are good choices. Yeah. I, I headed other places because I was trying to adhere to as many rules as possible, but there are quite a lot of rules here. I, I think uh, I, I think there's there needs to be some stretching. There needs to be, honestly, here's my challenge. Here's my challenge for mom. Okay. As long as dad doesn't go over budget, get whatever. I like that. Let, let's establish Is 20000 then our, our top? Theoretically. Okay. Let's, and I'm, and I'm going to break it just to show you what's available. Okay. 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 But, but honestly, what if dad just goes and buys something that he really likes that's manual and brings it home? There, look, I, I get it. As a guy that's been married a long time, you have those moments when your spouse does something and you just kind of look at him and go, I really love you. Can't believe you did that, but I really love you. You just have those moments. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mom, can we have one of those moments right here? Mm. Because the Outback was bought for you. Yeah. This is this is Gary yeah. looking out for you, okay? You like your flex. That's got to be navigated. I get it. But the Outback was bought not because Gary went, I want to buy an Outback. Honestly, I guarantee that's not what happened. My neighbors with two white outbacks said They have that. two matching spec white outbacks, and it makes both of us just our skin crawl. Yeah. Anyway, but <clears throat> because of the duplicate car thing. But yeah. anyway, he bought it to take care of you. Yeah. Okay? As as much as – look, I get that houses cost money. Totally get it. And every time and I turn around, and a week ago. Braces and everything, yes. A week ago, our washer ate our comforter. Ate it. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 repair guy had to break things to get the washer apart to get the now what? ruined comforter out of it. What? Now, now let me tell you what my wife did different than every other time she's washed the comforter. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Not absolutely a nothing. Thing. It just it just ate the comforter, destroyed the washer. Is the washer okay, or did you have to buy a new one? You had to well, get we parts. Had, right? We had to get parts. Yeah. Gotta be kidding me. But this is what I'm saying. What what happened last week compared to not, absolutely nothing different? Shredded the comforter. Yes. It just decided it was hungry. Fantastic. I mean, it's insane. So this is this is houses, okay? <laughs> so let's not be mad at the car for the Washing problems with the house. turn. And let's give Gary, here's a but. And look, and it may not be 20 grand. You may sit down together and decide it's 16. Mm. But let's go from Gary's perspective. 
what do you want to get at 16 grand? If this is the lockdown budget, just go get something that you enjoy. And I know, look, here's the flip side. Somewhere in your little circle of friends, there's going to be a Gary's having a midlife crisis. There's murmuring going on. Yes. Now we've done podcasts about this. Yes. It's not a midlife crisis. If this is the beginning of you owning fun cars. Exactly. If you buy a, a crazy, okay, I'll go to stereotype. You buy a crazy red convertible in your mid forties because the kids are going to college and you sell it six months later. It's a midlife crisis car. Right, right. Okay, you just decided to go off on a wild hair and decided this isn't me. But if you're a car person that, like Gary, has sacrificed your car love Mm -hmm. for real life and now you can get something fun, there's a freedom there. And still being fairly financially responsible. Because 16,000 can buy a whole bunch of boring cars too. Yes, it can. And you've got the Outback. So Let's this is my challenge for nice mom, and I know economy. I'm stretching here. I know I am. I like let me, it. Let me run around from here. You didn't like the first-gen Veloster. The second-gen is a great improvement. Indeed. The Veloster N is a superb car. I, yeah. This is the only place I'm going yeah. above your budget because yeah. I want to discuss how close this is. The Veloster N right now, new, is thirty grand, but used, they're already down to twenty-four. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of car for twenty four grand. You can find the occasional one if you shop nationwide for closer to twenty. Okay, so it's yes, it's above your budget, but I want to discuss the fact that here's a great car. You need to drive the Veloster in to get a feel for it. I actually wonder for you, Gary, about a Golf R, a used Golf R. Like it. I can't imagine like there's that many in your area, and they are a stealth, unique car. They are, for because sure. Because they're fun to drive. They have a decent amount of power. You could also go GTI while you're at it. But my point is, how many of those are around in your area? And they don't come in green or orange. They don't. They don't stand out as weird. Look at me. Mm-hmm. But they're genuinely fun. Yeah. You could yeah. do all of the things you're talking about. There's nothing wrong with the mini lineup. I like that. I I see. I think you like the mini because they look unique. I. You need to drive that and drive the Veloster and drive the GTI because I think if you drive all three of those, one of them will be a standout for you instantly. Of yeah. Those three cars. Yeah. So Great. drive all three of those. Um. Hmm. I still, I still hate that Gary kind of burned some collateral about the Outback because I see that as, as, as another sacrificial move in cars. Yeah. You know? But anyway, yeah. I have a wild card for you that struck me because of your parameters. Okay. Inexpensive. You love renting V8 Challengers when you can. Yes, yes. Okay. Your history of the kind of cars you've owned. Yeah. And I just went, wait a minute. It even has back seats. Okay. We talk about it now and then. It's older, which is why I'm putting in wild card, but okay. Pontiac GTO. That's, oh, that's it's, great. It's Ten the, grand. It's the four-seat Corvette. Oh, yeah. Six-speed manual. You you don't – I'm guaranteeing you right now. You don't see them. You just don't see them. you got to go to Florida there, to get them. But they're out there. They are stealth-looking. They have genuine power. Oh, yeah. Rear-wheel drive. They are, they are a, a two-plus-two setup of the Corvette of that era. GTO is good. Honey, I GTO. like that a lot. You could spend twelve to fourteen grand, get a great one, a fantastic one. I am not worried about the age. It's GM. It's just going to run. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that car would run, and I think it would check all of your other boxes and get you close to the feel you love about renting V8s when you can. It's now in your driveway. What if and you spent twelve much. grand on a GTO? Yes, manual yes. or automatic. Twelve grand. That's that's at the bottom of your budget, mm-hmm. and you've got money left over for maintenance and the rear tires that you will inevitably that you, you'll need more rear tires. Chew through. Yeah, there'll be more. Yeah, but I like that a lot. I kind of want it because because of the back seats and and the V eight. I was like, wait a minute. I'm starting to hone in on something here because you can't quite get the Challenger you want. Mm. So let's get. 
the Pontiac GTO, and, and let Gary be happy. <laughs> this is my thing. Honestly. Whenever Todd and I are searching for cars, we always start with Auto Tempest. To find the best cars for any budget, you know it's important to cast a wide net and check all the places they might be listed. Now, we used to have to search all different car sites separately, but with Auto Tempest, you can search them all in one place. With Auto Tempest, you can enter your search results and see all the results from all the top car sites at once, plus a bunch of smaller ones you probably didn't think to check. Auto Tempest will help you find your next car, wherever it's hiding. With all the listings in one place, it's a great way to shop around and compare what's out there. So if you're doing your drive homework, you're chasing your dream car, or you're just looking to feed the disease like we always are, head to autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. Riley Moody on Facebook is asking us about BMW since we've been talking about them, and they are ceasing European delivery as of September 2020, which kind of stinks, to be honest, for all of us enthusiasts who have dreamt of doing European delivery at BMW World in Munich. Mm. If you haven't been there or haven't seen photos, the place was designed for European delivery. But is this just a response to the current health situation, though? I, I think it's just customer lack of interest, to be honest. It, so it, could, be, it could be kind of a mix. Because what I'm wondering is if this is a move that is a temporary move. Let's hope not. Let's hope they bring it back. But yeah. they, they yeah, yeah. designed part of the building to actually do this. Yeah. The yeah, lift yeah. brings the car up from the depths below, and it's on a turntable, and they walk you through everything, and then you can drive it down the ramp, through the building, out the door, mm-hmm. and it's yours Hit go Autobahn. Yeah. Never yeah, yeah. Go. Yeah. Have fun. And we know people that have done that. We know people yeah. that have done European delivery and gone and done the Autobahn and gone and done the Nurburgring and then done more Autobahn and then taken it to the coast because there's a whole pre-scheduled yes. thing and flown home and then their car arrives. And they already have those memories the day their car gets to their hometown. We've known people that have done this. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, they'll, of course, I'm sure they'll keep doing it for Europe deliveries. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the overseas part of it. Maybe it's just the sticking point. And if there's a lack of demand, car companies have to be nimble enough to cut costs where they can. Mm -hmm. If it is costing a bunch, I can't really see it costing too much. But if it Mm -hmm. is, then Mm -hmm. car companies will react to that. Kind of a bummer, but I guess get it while it's hot. (laughs) Dammy asked a question to me, but I think you need to chime in on it as well. Okay. I've mentioned before that the Genesis Coupe. It came in two different styles. They, oh, yeah. they redid the front end yeah. for the second gen. I've mentioned before that while I think the second gen was an interesting improvement when it first dropped, yeah. by far over time, the first gens look better than the second gens. They've aged far better. And Dammy is saying he agrees, but he's asking, why is this the case? I'll tell you my take on it, but I think you as the designer need a better answer. I think because the first gen... The lines are consistent. It has it has a, a lower front end, and the lines seem to match better over the entire surface of the car. It has a nice okay. kind of wedge doorstop swoop to it, if you will, okay. in the first gen. Then in the second gen, it looks more like they put a kind of a brick front. It looks like pedestrian uh, standards mm-hmm. were, were inflicted here, where the whole, whole all cars get brick. Here's fronts. pedestrian standards. Stay out of the street. That's a pedestrian standard that we really that one that one never fails. By the way, that you want to it know the only fails. one that never fails. It anyway, always works. It if you always stay out of the street, you won't get hit. The pedestrian safety of not being in the street is <laughs> is paramount. Anyway, no, but the second gen kind of looks like you took this brick front end and put it on a car that, by its nature, was supposed to be kind of a, a doorstop swooping shape. And I think that's why it hasn't aged as well. I think the lines are better on the first. Interesting. I I do see that, and that does have credence. I think these two cars were caught in the middle of Hyundai's 
ascent, their rise mm. to stardom went to where they are now. And they were caught in the middle of redefining the corporate look that they are now. Neither car actually adheres to that look, but you can You're see right. this is the direction. Here's kind of old Hyundai look with the old front end point. and the old simpler to manufacture kinds of surfaces. Interesting point, yeah. And now we want a more of an exciting look and the design team is new and we want this is kind of the direction, but we haven't quite figured it out yet. That's Gen 2. You're right. I hadn't thought about it. In those and they're terms. willing to spend more money yeah. to stamp more creative, yeah, exotic okay. shapes in the metal, which is more expensive, rather than just simple pieces, get the most out of it, which honestly makes a cleaner design. Look at the 60s Ferraris that were mm -hmm. you know, handcrafted on an English wheel. Beautiful surfaces. Mm -hmm. They look timeless. But now, here's the direction Hyundai's going. So let's try crazier stuff. They're trying to, to push it that way. That, that's a great yes. idea. I hadn't thought about that. This tees up directly Kyle's question. Did you see this? Oh. Kyle said, what car brand is the most improved over the last 10 years? And what car brand has declined the most over the past 10 years? Mm. This gets controversial, but I think I have an answer. But where are you? Okay. I do say Hyundai has improved dramatically. They have nothing but runway ahead of them. Mm. I mean, they can do... Almost no wrong right now, to be honest. They are killing it with their, their line of thinking, with bringing the N-Line mm -hmm. and Hyundai N-versions to just about every one of their cars. And thinking about that, they're bringing the wood. Mm. Volvo has improved dramatically, although, although Volvo never really was lost necessarily from a fair, design standpoint. Fair, fair, yeah. But they've improved dramatically. They're just gorgeous, but nobody thinks of Volvo. Mm -hmm. And then when you discover it, you think, well... <laughs> This is a totally different choice. It's a discerning choice. Mm -hmm. It's not for everybody. But they've really improved dramatically. I think Jaguar has done a lot to, to bring better style and more of a, a cohesive design across their brand. Uh, trying to think as far as decline. Where are you at? Well, I, I want to speak to a couple, and it's going to be fighting words really quickly here. I know it is. But I think as far well, let me back up one step. Here's how I'm going to define improved Okay. Okay. It's not, it's, there's a lot of ways we could define that because if a car is less fun to drive, but the car company is selling more, mm. that could be an improvement. Oh, sure. Sales numbers. But yeah. that's not my definition. My definition of improved is what's become more interesting to drive in the last 10 years. Okay. Okay. Or what's become less interesting to drive. And by that metric, I agree with you on Kia and Hyundai because. All the people left BMW, went to Kia and Hyundai, and BMW has become less fun to drive as a brand. In the last 10 years, those two car companies are starting to swap spots. Now, let me be clear here. <laughs> Walking on thin ice, you might as yes, well dance, right? stuff's being thrown, <clears throat> I know, and emails are being written. BMW cars continue to get refined and in many ways could be defined as getting better, and they are finding more markets and they're selling a ton of product. I think they have fewer cars that are genuinely fun to drive. Mm. Mm. Meanwhile, Kia and Hyundai was never a place you looked for fun to drive. Oh. And the guys that were in charge of fun to drive at BMW went to Kia and Hyundai. And guess what? Yeah. Those cars are becoming, surprise, more fun to drive. I am not defining brand cachet. I'm not defining history. I'm not defining sure. sales numbers. I'm talking fun to drive as improvements or cars that are declining. BMW has standouts. But the weird thing is 15, 20 years ago, you got a BMW, it was fun to drive. It didn't matter what car it was, didn't matter totally. what spec it was, you just got in it totally. and drove it. It was like, wow, this is great. Now it depends the model and the spec yeah. BMW. That's interesting because a few, well, the the um, 3 Series, generation back, mm -hmm. 
I noted that BMW was just following a tried and true and kind of stale style guide. Mm -hmm. The interior and the exterior just rinse and repeat these styling elements all over the car. doesn't matter the size, whatever it is. It's kind of getting tired. Kind of, we're ready for something fresh and new. It's Beaver teeth. <laughs> Not that, not that fresh and new. <laughs> Less new than that. No, that's not really fresh or anything. But you know, I I agree. There are some fun to drive BMWs, but that's by virtue of the power that they've got. Well, and and you get a certain spec, and you spec it a certain way, and guess what? This car's good now. Right. Yeah. But you're paying a bunch of money. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. That's interesting. All right, Ryan Hughes asked a question about Ken Block and about <laughs> the recent teaching my teenage daughter videos that he's starting to release. What percentage of car enthusiast population is Leah, his daughter, a better driver than? <laughs> Some car journalist, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. And how much more will she be by the time she can legally drive? Mm -hmm. She's in a sweet spot, of course. Yeah. Uh, this is not a normal situation. The story sounds amazing. <laughs> and I would love to see her become the protege because dad has all the resources and the connections and the cars yeah. to... Yeah. Put it in front of her. Yeah. She could end up at some point not really being into it, not liking it. Mm -hmm. I hope that doesn't I hope that doesn't happen because she could be almost a one of one. Being, you know, dad is Ken Block <laughs> and being trained <laughs> by dad. Yeah. And she could come out, you know, automotive drift royalty and starting at a younger age because Ken started later in life and he became very good. But he started well in, I think, late 30s, early 40s. Somewhere yeah, there. yeah. He started kind of later in life doing this. I'm going to say something now so that if Ken Block does it, all of you heard it here first. Okay. The Jim Connor videos have kind of run their course. Yeah. By, by Ken's own admission, okay? Yeah. This yeah. is not me saying this. is By Ken's own admission, they need to do something else. Girl Connor. Girl Connor. I wonder if they're going to respawn them with her at the wheel before she's even legal to drive. That's YouTube gold right there. Gold. I, I, I'm saying it now publicly so that if it happens, you heard it here first. I like that. Wow. That's great. Along those lines, Michael Witzel says, "How do you? what are the tips for raising a junior enthusiast? Oh, yeah. Uh, Michael, you can't force it. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, exactly. I, this is the th and I'm not, I'm not claiming I'm doing it right with my son because there's very little things I would say that about. But uh, in this situation, my son sees my love for cars. Mm -hmm. In some cases, my near overwhelming love for cars. Mm -hmm. I haven't told him he needs to have it. I haven't put any pressure on him, but I always make it available to him. Okay. And he has embraced it in his own way. And sometimes it's been hard for me because he is a little kid, and here I am, the guy with tons of numbers flying around and life experience and cars and blah, blah, blah. Something may catch his eye where I'm like, oh, my gosh, really? And then I have to go, you know what? Okay. What is it about that you think is cool? Mm. And not in an accusational, why, why do you like that? Just a, okay, that caught your eye. Why? Why is that cool? What, what do you like about it? Tell me. I want to yeah. hear it. Yeah. So allow, if you have a genuine love for cars, you listen to this podcast, you're asking this question, you clearly do. Be genuine in that love that you have and invite your kids along. I like that. And then yeah. see what about it they connect with and be fine with that. And nurture that too. Yes. Well, but because look, the... I don't like uh, stanced cars. I also don't like huge lifted trucks. We were at a car show last summer, and I had to peel my son away from the monster truck whose tires were bigger than him, and then the lift was another two feet above that. I must have taken two dozen photos. Oh, my gosh. I, I didn't need to be anywhere near this truck. My son didn't want to leave it. And That's this is so one funny. of these moments for me where I was like, okay, 
when I was his age, when I was older than his age, I was all about like, look at that thing before I could drive. Sure. I was like, look at, here he was connecting with it. I was like, all right, let's take a bunch of photos. <laughs> and then at one point I was off looking at some tiny little sports car and he walked with me and he goes, dad, this is last year. Can I have your phone? I was like, what's going on? I want to go take some more pictures of that truck. What? So I gave the kid my phone. I came home with so many like barely like two people standing in front of it, weird, canted, not well taken photos of this huge truck. Oh, that's funny. So encourage the things they connect with while you just invite them along. Fantastic. I love it. All right. Nate Kuhn, who does our cycle reports, rides bikes and is a great driver as well. He's asking what new type or style of vehicle we would like in the U.S. that currently doesn't exist mm-hmm. or maybe not that all that we've imagined. Well, <clears throat> more wagons. More manuals and more manual wagons. How about wow. that? But you know what? We I'm are the rare exception. We don't kidding. like brown. There yeah. is a running joke that every every car journalist likes a brown wagon in it's manual. Not we'll take wagons in manual. Cinnamon or no, hazelnut. No, no brown. No brown. Yeah. Well, Nate wishes more youths were sold here. A business case has to be made for it. And he also says it would be cool to have a four-door pickup with a detachable bed. Hmm. So you can have a short, boxy SUVs most days and then tag on a bed for the seven times a year you actually need one. Anybody remember the late 90s Nissan Exa Sportback or in the U.S. the Nissan Pulsar NX with the Sportback? You could replace oh, yeah. the thing on the back yeah. that never Hit sold. The modular back, yeah. Never do any product that is modular or reversible. The reversible jacket or belt <laughs> or bed or desk for kids. It becomes do, a... Do one thing. Never do that. Your shoes are your shoes. Your jacket is your jacket. You don't wear it inside out. You wear it like <laughs> it was designed. Do not do this to cars you have, either. You have just bumped up against a major Paul pet peeve. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nate, honestly, wagons. I would love to see more of that. And it seems like there's testing of things because some of these SUVs are just uh, – they're, they're just a response. I see a lot of that mm, in the GM mm. product lineup. It's just – here it is, and it's about the same size as this other thing. We currently have a Subaru Ascent, and I saw a brown GMC Envoy. I went, mm-hmm. is that a Subaru Envoy? What is that? Yeah. And it looked oh, nearly there's identical. A, there's a surprising amount of, of CUV five- and seven-seat sameness going on. That's one of the reasons that we make a big deal about it when something does stand out in that category, because they're all just kind of car dispenser, you know? My ultimate answer is the proliferation of financially accessible performance like what hyundai Mm. is doing with n like what mazda speed used to be sure sure what the potential that toyota has with gr yeah yeah that's a lot of potential there that's exciting it almost doesn't matter the model but Mm -hmm. that accessible performance gr everything i i'm about about that i know you are i know you are gabriel says what do we do because when we first posted for questions in the last week it was while we were doing this big road trip he said what on earth do you do on a long road trip to not get bored Mm. And he says, since we don't listen to our own podcast, I do listen to all the episodes in the way they come out to you, the public, because I want to make sure we don't have anything uh, that's unexpected on them. But you're right. I don't do a road trip and listen to a bunch of our back catalog because I don't need to hear me that much because I live with me. However, (laughs) I live with me. Yes. And and some days that's scary. Uh, My wife can tell you. But what I do on, on road trips that I love that I started back in college, and I'll tell you why, is audiobooks. Uh huh. I absolutely love audiobooks. And when we did our most recent road trip, we had business to take care of and sections of the trip where we were driving and shooting and paying attention to that. And sections of the trip where it was just like, for the next hour, I'm going in this straight line. I turned on the audiobook. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely did. And I love that. So I'm, I love, I've consumed so much more, so many more novels because of audiobooks than I ever would have sitting down to read. 
it's very hard for me to sit down and read because there's so many other things I need to do. Mm-hmm. When you're driving, they can take that much of your brain away for an audiobook, and now I'm sawing through chapters. So I do love that. So that's that's probably the primary thing that I do. Um, but the reason I started it in college, real quick story. So I went to college at Baylor in Waco, Central Texas. Yes. My parents lived in Houston. Yes. If memory serves, it was a hundred and like seventy miles door to door. Okay. Um, the fastest I ever did it was two hours and ten minutes. <laughs> that's that's booking. And I got a ticket the next time. Was that the Caprice? Oh yeah, the gray, yeah, the cop looking Caprice. Oh yeah, I got a ticket. I got a fairly substantial ticket. You did. Um, and I realized that my problem was, besides the fact that I'm a car geek and did a lot of stupid things in that car, the problem was, I was bored. Hmm. And I'm a car guy, so it was. Can I go a little bit faster? Can I do this a little bit better, more efficiently? This this became the game. So what I started doing that revolutionized that trip was I started renting or buying three-hour audiobooks. Okay. And the trip started taking speed limit roughly three hours. I would almost always pull into my parents' driveway with like two minutes left on the audiobook. Unbelievable. And it just chilled me out. So I was like, that, there's something there. That's because left funny. to my own devices, the speeds keep climbing. So I got to do something that I'm just like, I'm here. I'm chilling. And it's an audiobook. I like, wow, funny. For me, it's usually phone calls because I'm sitting there. And if I've got cell service, I'm just trying to catch up on phone calls, sure. call family, check in, things that, you know, people I haven't yeah, gotten yeah. back to, that sort of thing, or just people I want to talk to. And I, I've got the time because I'm sitting staring totally. straight out the windshield at a straight line totally. of road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or music for me as well. All right, Jeffrey Yu is asking if life is too short to own the same car twice. Mm. Should we all take any car opportunities to own something we've never owned before? Well, yes. There are extremes on the other end where people own maybe four of the same car, and that's... (laughs) Really? Why'd you sell the other three, then? You saw the photo that got shared with us of the guy with five Phaetons, right? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, there was a there was a photo that was going around a few weeks back where the guy had five Phaetons, different colors, mm. different years, but still. Let let's. Mm. I like them. They're cool. Let's move on. Hmm. I it it's not too short, and if you're not done with it, if it's taken from you, as we've talked about, if you really regret selling it, you can have a car early in life, and then later in life, you think, you know what. I want one of those again. Sure. That's okay. That's that's bothering both of us, in fact. It, it is. <laughs> and so we're giving ourselves permission to say, you know what? If we want to own another 300Z or another 928 or something like that, okay. But we're having fun experiencing so many new ones. And I, I keep saying we're in this new era mm. right now where we've got all the old school stuff that we love. But car manufacturers are really hunkering down and changing their ways and cutting budgets Nissan and trying to figure out what their future is. <laughs> I love the throwaways. That's awesome. I like that a lot. And really seriously looking at what the car offerings mm-hmm. to their customers and how to grow. Yeah. That's car companies. How to grow. How do yeah. we grow? How do we make more money? Yeah. The end. What, we, what can we build? That's what the design teams and the engineering teams are working on. So I feel like there's some exciting times ahead of us for some cool cars. So leave yourself open. Guys, thank you for your awesome questions. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the road trip. We're really excited about season seven and sharing a new TV season with you all. And uh, lots more to come. We're yeah, planning sure. the rest of the year and figuring out maybe a meetup. Maybe, maybe. Ho- hopefully we're going See? to do our Utah meetup. We're hoping for that. We are, I'll be honest with you right now. The pilgrimage trip is on life support. 
we're hoping yeah. to go, but yeah. we're really having to figure out if we even can go. There's it's just a whole separate thing. It's just all the stuff going on in the world. But we are yes. still hoping for a September meetup. We will see what happens with regulations in Utah. That is still something that we're working on. As you already mentioned, TV's coming. But do me a favor. If you haven't rated this podcast on iTunes, it helps keep this podcast in the top 10 automotive podcast. So many people find this podcast yeah. because you guys rate it. That also applies to Amazon Prime for the TV show. So those ratings are huge. We thank you guys so much for everyone you leave. Definitely. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everyone.